Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for The Nuanced Life. Last week, we talked about beginnings. Today, we're going to talk about closing the book on a particular chapter in life. We have commemorations to share with you about finishing up speech therapy and finishing up cancer treatment. And we'll end with Rebecca's commemoration of her family's last trip to a ballpark. So we're really excited to dive in. Before we do, I want to remind you that there are still tickets available for our Nuance Nation tour in Washington, D.C. and in Dallas. So check the show notes. We would love to connect with you live while we are on the road. So first up, we have a commemoration from Jenny. Jenny's daughter recently graduated from speech therapy for her R sounds. Jenny had become accustomed to her daughter's speech patterns, but when her daughter started school, she began correcting her when she was reading, and she noticed, and I thought this was very wise, that this was leading to unnecessary conflict and affecting her daughter's attitude towards learning. So she took a different approach. The school wasn't particularly helpful, so Jenny put her daughter in private speech therapy. She says, After six months of weekly speech therapy visits, she graduated this past Thursday. She's now able to say all her R's, though she still needs practice at home for reinforcement. I'm happy to be entering second grade this fall with weekly speech therapy visits behind us, and I want to take a moment to reflect on the work we put in to get us to this point. I love that Jenny listened for Mm -hmm. what might be underlying conflict instead of just feeling like, Everything is fine, and you are trying to be difficult. That's a good Mm -hmm. lesson for all of us as parents. And I think it's really smart. Look, and I'm hoping the speech therapist will back me up here. Speech therapy is a really difficult thing to navigate on your own without a professional opinion. I think in the beginning, you know, there's so many speech patterns that are developmentally appropriate But I've noticed, you know, with Felix, who went through speech therapy and then with other children in my sort of social circle and family life, that it's easy to carry that attitude forward like, oh, they'll just grow out of it. And that is not always the case, especially the older they get in elementary school and that they're really professional interventions are needed. And so I think Jenny was so smart to see and to sense that something was up and some professional intervention was needed and that it wasn't just something that you can blow off and say, oh, it's just because they're a little kid. And listen, let's be real. Sometimes the speech patterns are pretty cute and we're all it's all easy to just smile and think they're just being kids. But at a certain point, you really do need speech therapy. And I thought the way she handled this and is celebrating the fact that she did handle it well and that they they got the outcome they were looking for is so, so smart. Another lesson here, I think, 
for Jenny's daughter. And this is a lesson that I just recently had to relearn is that we can work on things that feel even incredibly personal to us and that make us feel really vulnerable. And I think speech is like that. You know, I just started working with a vocal coach for some issues that I'm having, and it reminded me of my old voice lessons days and how that is an incredibly vulnerable experience. You know, when you're making noises that are strange and you're using your mouth in weird ways, it all feels so personal. I feel like it's a part of the body that we have all kinds of issues attached to, and it's a big deal. And so to show early in life, hey, even these things that feel so connected to who we are and and are absolutely about how we express ourselves to others, there are tools that we can bring to those things to make them better, and we should do that. Well, and can we just take a cultural moment here and say that with regards to speech— With regards to women and speech, there's so much more going on. I think about the part of burnout when one of the authors who teaches conducting and music talks about how she has to teach little girls to breathe because they've been taught that a a stomach should be flat and hard. And a stomach cannot be flat and hard if we are taking in enough oxygen and breath to really properly support our vocal cords, not to mention that you have all the societal pressures to drop your voice, to be taken more seriously, and all these different pressures and ideas and stereotypes that are really just taxing our speech. And so I think it's really going to set her daughter up for success, honestly, in more ways than one, not just with regards to the R's, but she's going to have this really wonderful foundation of proper breath and thinking through, like, how am I speaking and and what's affecting it? And it's something that I can work on and that I can change and shift and get support for. Whereas the rest of us, I think, just flow through and are unaware of all the different pressures and problems that can arise from that. Well, and I just have to add to that sort of feminist bent that we're taking here that as a woman speaking, you really can't win because if your register is too high, you aren't taken seriously. If it goes too low, then you get accused of obnoxious vocal fry. There's Mm -hmm. not a space where people feel like, oh, that is a lovely and appropriate, professional, competent, but also warm and friendly tone for a woman to have. And it's obnoxious. Um, And I think learning to think of your speech and your voice through a lens of what's healthy, as Jenny is offering her daughter, is a gift early in life that I hope serves her well for a very long time because it pushes against all kinds of pressures that come in many forms some of which we struggle to keep awareness of. So, Jenny, when you first wrote us to commemorate the end of speech therapy, I bet you didn't expect to hear us celebrate your feminist win as well. So good job. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We 
also heard from Jennifer about a different but very important passage in her child's life. Her five-year-old son, AJ, was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL, and recently finished the induction phase of his treatment protocol. He went through a bone marrow aspiration to determine his risk group for the next phase of treatment, and Jennifer wrote, I had no idea how our family would get through this diagnosis and the intense treatment protocol, but here we are. We made it. We might even be stronger, and we are definitely smarter than we were before. AJ is a rock star. He has handled everything with more grace than anyone could expect. My husband and I have grown with a new level of patience for one another and for our children. Gus, our two-year-old son, has learned new ways to interact and be gentle with his older brother. She wants to commemorate also the village of people who've stepped up to support her family with meals and gifts and money and visits and childcare and hugs and love and prayers. She says, I remain humbled by the love we've been shown. I think this is something that is so difficult for the rest of us to even contemplate. And I think tackling something this difficult by breaking it up and stopping and pausing along the way to say, okay, we've gotten through this phase one. Let's think about this. Let's be grateful for how we've gotten through it before we move on to other difficult parts of the journey. So wise. I really loved in Jennifer's note that she and her husband have grown in their relationship because that doesn't always happen. And when I was doing Mm -hmm. divorce work as a lawyer, I read quite a few studies and kind of articles about how many divorces have their roots in some kind of incredible medical strain in the family like this, especially when it concerns children. It is so easy to lose each other in the management of severe distress. And that The two of you have found a way to not only not lose each other, but feel closer and stronger and more capable as a team, I think is amazing and worthy of commemoration all on its own. And I imagine that seeing that is so healing for your children in ways that they won't understand for a long time, but that really contribute positively to what's going on here. That's not to say that when it doesn't happen, it hurts the children and to make anyone feel guilt or shame for what they're going through. I just think it is really remarkable that the two of you have been able to come together through something so hard and through something that disappoints so many expectations that we have and asks so much of our hearts to endure it. Well, and I thought it was smart the way she talked about what her younger son is learning instead of what's so easy to do, I think, which is just formulate your perspective solely on how hard it's going to be on them and their challenges but to say, you know, This is also an opportunity for him to learn and grow and become better. And I think that's really wise as well. I think all of our children would benefit if we started re-envisioning struggle as an opportunity to grow. I hate to recycle something that I know I've said a few times before, but I truly focus so much on this advice that I received from a friend when my grandmother died and Ellen was six days old, you know, Jane was four, and she said, do not protect your children from grief. It is a part of life. They need to know how to engage with it. They need to be able to see you in your grief and sadness. 
And I can imagine in a situation like this that there would be all kinds of instincts to protect everyone from the harsh reality of what's occurring. And it sounds like Jennifer's family has not done that and has instead said, here is the hand that we have been dealt and we are a family through this and we will be a family on the other side of it, whatever that looks like. And I just really hope that this treatment continues to go well, that AJ's grace extends through all of the things in front of him um, and that your family feels that love and support throughout the entire process. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rebecca wrote in because she wants to commemorate her family's last trip to the ballpark in Arlington before the Texas Rangers moved to their new field. Her and her husband had their second date at the ballpark seven years ago this summer. She says the game was a blast, and I've lost count of the number of games we've been to since then. I'm taking this moment to commemorate all we've been through as a couple from the first game until now when we take the now much bigger boys to say farewell to the ballpark. We've built a successful business together, bought a house, planted a garden. We've seen dreams of growing our family come and go. We've gone through years of infertility. Stephen was forced to give up a custody suit for the boys. His oldest son has chosen not to speak for him for several years. And we recently went through a very sad experience as first-time foster parents that is causing us to question whether we want to pursue adoption in the future at all. We've dealt with receiving a type 1 diabetes diagnosis for the second youngest boy. And we've cheered for and celebrated with the youngest boy as he navigates life with autism and the most exuberantly joyful family. Fashion, I could imagine. I've dealt with so many emotions that are hard for me to even name as I've struggled to accept that family looks different from what we ever planned or imagined. I feel like I'm an imposter as a mother for the first few years and always felt the need to qualify my introduction to our family as Stephen, me, and his four sons. We've wanted so much to have a children together, children who are ours, not his, and yet now I look at this picture of us at the ballpark and I unequivocally want to claim these boys as mine too. These are our boys. We have six years together under our belt. We are a family, a complete family. Our doors and lives are open to receiving more children in or back. But if we never grow in number, we are still perfect and complete as we are. So goodbye to the ballpark in Arlington. Thank you for the countless memories. Hello to the future of taking our family to watch baseball under a retractable roof with air conditioning during summer in Texas. Rebecca, I love this commemoration because we are a baseball family, too, and I so relate to the ballpark as kind of an anchor because there's such a ritual to baseball, right? Baseball is a beautiful reflection of things we talk about on this podcast all the time. It's engaging with the season. It's knowing this is how the game starts and this is what happens in the middle of the game. Here's the seventh inning stretch. Like there's such a pattern to it that it is able to be this wonderful marker in time. Chad and I had our first date at Great American Ballpark where the Cincinnati Reds play. We were able later to buy into the season ticket group that holds those seats. So now every game we go to, and we go to at least eight every summer, 
we sit in our first date seats. We've been doing that for a decade now. And so when they recently remodeled Scouts Alley, which is this little area of the ballpark underneath our seats where we go to the restroom and to get concessions, we looked around and thought, wow, this looks so different. Jane practically learned to walk in Scouts Alley in the old version. And so now Ellen is getting this completely different look at it. Um, I have done more breastfeeding at the ballpark than I can even begin to talk about. I mean, you really do kind of go back to those seats and think, look at where we are versus where we've been and where are we going from here? And I can imagine, especially when you have complex dynamics in your family, this sense of wanting your family to change in certain ways or to solidify in certain ways, that having that anchor to just remind you we're okay and we've got this and we have given ourselves the gift of being here and spending time together is incredibly special. I'm not a ballpark person. I like going to a baseball game a summer. So first of all, mad props to you ballpark people for showing up and going and sitting and keeping kids entertained. I love, though, the idea of using that anchor to take a moment to reflect, which is obviously what we value so much here at The Nuanced Life. My husband and I were talking about this recently because I just went to my 10-year class reunion and I thought, man, how much my life in Paducah has changed in 10 years because that's sort of the anchor we, we just recently came upon is we've been in Paducah for a decade. And then I thought, man, how different my life was 10 years before that when I was a high school senior. I love the line in the Indigo Girls, every five years or so I look back on my life and I have a good laugh. And sometimes it's a good cry, but I think looking back, um, whether it's because of a ballpark or a reunion or a new house or whatever you're you're thinking and, and taking a moment to say, especially as women, because let's be real, we're hard on ourselves, to say, man, I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. Look at how I was able to survive that. Look at how I was able to survive and grow and learn and change through this really difficult experience. Or just through the phases of life is such a powerful exercise. There are these big comfy chairs in Scouts Alley under our seats now. And I look at them with, look, a little bit of resentment, honestly, every time we see them. Because when Jane and Ellen were both babies, there was just this bench against the wall. And so I would go down and sit on that bench to breastfeed them just to get out of the sun and to have a second And I look at those chairs with such, like, envy, and I think about all the moms who are going to be able to sit in those comfortable chairs with their babies (laughs) when I was sitting on that stupid bench. Uh, And it does give me, in this really superficial way, a chance to say, like, look what I've been through and look what we've done as a family. And I will also just say, as a little side note, that we really don't entertain our kids at the ballpark because they've been going since they were breastfeeding babies. They just know the ballpark as a place where they are. And so they pack bags of, you know, crayons and coloring books. And Jane takes a Kindle sometimes. But we all just love to sit outside together at baseball. And it's not really something that takes a lot of energy from us. Ellen goes through many snacks. She is a snack eating machine at baseball. But I think that this is something I always want to share with other parents. Like, 
I feel like the things that you want to be able to do as a family, you just need to do them without fear and keep coming back over and over because your kids do adjust to it and it does become something that you don't have to dread or entertain them through. We've always wanted to be able to eat out with our kids, so we have always taken them to restaurants. And we really have delightful restaurant experiences as a family now, and I think it's because we just have always done it. We've always had Sunday night dinners. We do eat out a lot. But I think to a certain extent, especially with toddlers, it's also just letting go of expectations that it will be delightful for like the near future. You just kind of have to push through the hard phases. Like I have three kids. I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 4-year-old. Anything that happens in the evening, especially after a school day, is going to be hectic and stressful. There is no peaceful experience at 6 o'clock in the evening with a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 4-year-old, especially if they've been at school all day, including just being at home with them. And it's just a goat rodeo wherever we go. That's the reality. So I think also just realizing that having little kids is hard and takes a lot of energy no matter where you are is also a helpful exercise. Yeah, we are very committed to doing things early in the day. You know, we eat dinner sometimes at 4.30 or 5 o'clock because that's when it can be fun. 6 o'clock, I agree with you, is when it starts to become what Chad calls the witching hour and just everything is in disarray. We are early bedtime people in our house. You know, all of those little habits. You just have to know your kids and what they're capable of, but that's how our family works best. And the baseball park has always been a huge aspect of that. And even if my girls grow up and say, like, I never want to go to another baseball game again, I hope that we've made really good memories for them and that they can look back fondly on this time. And sometimes we point out to them, too, not everybody gets to do this. You know, not everybody lives in a city that has a major league baseball team. And so occasionally we'll be in a parking garage or something near the stadium and you'll see someone who clearly doesn't know what they're doing. And it gives us a chance to say, hey, They probably drove four hours to be here. You know, this is a really unusual event for them, and it's a very normal event for you. And let's take a second and talk about that. Just so many awesome things attached to baseball for our family. And Rebecca, I am glad that that's true for you. I am both jealous and skeptical of this watching baseball and air conditioning idea. So let us know how that goes for you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. We will be back in your ears next week. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuanced Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuanced Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuanced life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuanced Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuanced Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.